0: Hello and welcome to Fancy Black Lady. I'm your host, Jamila Carrington-Smith. And I'm your host, Landria Seals Green. One quick note before we get started. If you love Fancy Black Lady, tell your friends about us. And for those of you who are Apple Podcast listeners, be sure to leave us a rating. In fact, leave us a review. Tell us what you love about the show. It helps us understand what's working and it also helps new listeners discover us. Thanks. I feel like some days I could be in a video,
1: like a music video, cheer dancing. Okay,
0: but you know that like, cheer dancing, lap dancing, and pole dancing are all like...
1: No, I'm not trying to do all that. See, that's what I thought you That's a lot of work. It's like, (laughs) I mean, I want my abs to be strong, but do I need them to be that strong?
0: I told you I pulled an ab muscle in that pole dancing class, right? You took a pole dancing class? Let me tell
1: you, I don't count myself as fat, but a pole dancing class would make me feel fat because everybody would be going up the pole and I'd just be at the
0: bottom. Like I can't, I can't I can't seem to get it together. I love your hands. They kind of look like claws and you're just kind of clawing the air. Right now. <laughs> That's how it would be. That's a, it's the same as those, you know, the
1: classes with what was that TV? Oh, oh, it was the Real Housewives of No, it was Married to Medicine LA. And they took Kendra to that um what is it? It's like trapeze but the big uh yes. fabric uh, hangs from the Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I can't remember what that's called. Uh, with the ah uh, oh, shoot, it's Ariel. It's Ariel.
1: Thank you. And she said, I can't do this. And I said, thank you, Kendra, because we cannot do this. And I feel like- so you know like, I tried that, right? I know. And I feel this is where I'm going. <laughs> I feel like you would say, Landria, let's do that. And I would say, Jamila, I'm not made for that. My body is not made for that. I cannot do that. And somebody would so... say, yes, you can. No, really, because my mind won't let me. It's like, I can't do it. But tell me. And I'm not making- I How- Where where does that come? Why is that useful for me? You know the whole, you know. Let me put my butt into the fabric and wrap my legs around it and do the V and then flip myself. Why is that useful?
0: See, I just feel like either you need to do it or you don't need to do it. And and what I am deducing from the look on your face is that maybe you don't need to do it. I but
1: I but I want to experience it. But I I. I would feel better experiencing it alone, not with someone who will have a memory
0: and then know me. This is a place and these like Cirque du Soleil people and that one crazy dancer woman with the legs that are eight feet long, everybody was so, it was such a space like for women. And it was not at all about how somebody looks or what they can't do. It wasn't about that at all. Right. And it was very encouraging and it was just, it was a good atmosphere. It wasn't like- And you like, know why? You know why? Why?
1: Because you all were strangers. And when strangers gather, they're going to support each other. If you go with the friend, the friend will laugh.
0: Well, I did go by myself. This was See? one of those things where I was just like, yeah, I'm not going with anybody. I'm going with- See? Yeah. Right. Ariel silks is what those things are called. Are they
1: called that? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's a skill that I will use, but I can say that
0: I did it. Did you have a chance to read the uh, Washington Post article about this
1: teacher? Stumbling towards
0: wokeness. Yeah. It's this teacher who just had this moment of epiphany. She works at a small school. Someone made a comment on the school's website or something like that saying, "Wow, there's no black or brown people here." And so the school is mostly white. They have a couple of black and or brown children. It's like a preschool or something like that or some lower school. And all the teachers who are white were just like, "What? What is this about? This is garbage." And so She had a moment where she's just like, wait a second, it does look like we're all a white school and there are no people of color there. And so that kicked off her journey where she tried to address this issue with her friends and her friends were like, that's garbage. What is Black Lives Matter? Like all of this, they're just making noise, that kind of business. Yeah. And um, how she just little bit by bit, very um, stumbling toward wokeness is actually a really apt way of putting what her experience was like as she stumbled forward and made some mistakes and got some things wrong, but all the while advancing toward this place of new understanding. And as she got to this place and started to have just more and more confidence in having some of these conversations with her friends and with her family, the kind of challenges she got there. And then there, I don't remember if the article addresses them, but my concern was she is stumbling toward workness. she still gets shit wrong. Yeah. But people like her take a lot of fire from people on this side of things, right? And so if she's stumbling, if she has just stumbled over the line, are we really going to give her grief for not being farther over the line? Or are no. we just going to be glad that this chick has made the journey? We're going to be glad that she
1: is, because I scammed the article. It's a good article. Yeah. Um, we're going to be glad that she's made the journey. It's a delicate balance, I do think. Mm-hmm. It is a delicate balance um, because you want to add and give insight and want to grow on. you. At least I get fatigued by the frequency of which I need to do that. So I don't want to do it all of the time. So I, I pick and choose. But there are people who are... Asking questions and are stumbling towards wokeness, if you will. And yeah, we need to support them in that. We do. That's work. But no, I'm not applauding. That allyship and saying, thank you so much for being my ally.
0: I just feel like I throw up a little bit every time I hear someone say, thank you for being an ally.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not into buffoonery that comes from people who undervalue their own presence, and then they applaud. I mean, that is performative to me. Hmm. You you already know that I have a disdain for the phrase performative acts. How I've seen people use it in my professional space has been um, disrespectful at best. It seems as though That phrasing of performative acts is used by people who sense that what you are doing or what someone else is doing, it is competing with them. And so I feel like it's the new professional shade and people are like, oh my gosh, it's a performative act. I don't want to be affiliated with, an, with a performative act.
0: So what you're talking about is people misusing a term in order yes. to give cover for something that's a lot more base, which is, yes. I don't like what you're doing. You should be doing what I'm doing. And since you're not, I'm going to say it's a performative act, and which people, I still think, but I think it's a misuse. Of it
1: is term. a misuse.
0: There's something real about, you know, and, and I think it's spot on about this notion of performative acts.
1: In its um, original state of what the uh, original thought behind that phrase, absolutely, we agree. People are throwing terms out. And what's happened is that people who would normally say things who are not Black don't feel like they can say anything anymore because they are like... Am I going to be mislabeled? Am I going to be misread? And so it has become this level of, um, I attended a, a workshop, a professional workshop, a webinar, and I was highly disappointed to frustration at the level of disregard for people who don't look like me. It was like, I'm like, is this a professional space where people are being educated, or are you beating down upon people for, for being white? It was, it was the craziest oh, yeah. webinar I had yeah. ever attended. And then, you know, of course, you use the word performative acts was overused that night.
0: It not it amazing how we are developing and evolving the lexicon for this moment? And it's not just a moment, but, you know, we're developing language to describe things that we didn't collectively have language for before. And so I think maybe that's part of what's happening with performative acts, I say in air quotes. Um, (laughs) And I also feel like because people are using it in a professional space, this is really just people who are bumbling to find the words. And in the absence of having the words, They find the closest approximation that they can think of to what they want to say, but they're using it as a cudgel. And it's just, um, it's, it's sad because your professional space is a clinical space. And I think we have a different level of expectation of people who work in the clinical world, that they will just have a better grasp of words, right? That they can say what they mean and they say things with precision. So it's always super disappointing when people are so... Imprecise and irresponsible with those irresponsible.
1: words. Irresponsible, irresponsible has been the space of comfort. Yeah. But I don't. I, I think that we've always had the words. We've always shared the words. I mean, you and I have had conversation, conversations prior to this moment. You have had conversations with your family. Kitchen tables across the world and country have had these conversations. I just think that. People of diverse backgrounds, our language, and the, the, the topics that we have discussed are now becoming more public, and the people who are around us are realizing that this is not a new topic. I don't think that this is uh, something new. It's not new for us. We've just now shared that part of ourselves.
0: It's not new for us, but like you said, it has, you know, this has been the language that has been percolating at millions of kitchen tables across the country, but never has it existed in the culture in quite this way. And so now that it's become part of the cultural lexicon around this, we all have to figure out, well, wait a second, at your kitchen table, you mean this, but at mine, I mean that when I say these terms. So we're still working it out, and unfortunately, certain people are expected to kind of know what they're talking about, and uh, they don't always... But and
1: everybody wants you to keep it real yes, yes everybody wants you to keep it real they want but people are not ready for real are yeah. we all really ready for real we are um not. no you don't want real sometimes you want people to keep it fake and that's okay too because keep it real sometimes is too much <sighs>
0: <laughs> do i share the story that i had with my employer or do i not you do not okay Mm-hmm. you know it's it's that blurring of the line like well i consider us friends it's like well if we're friends i'm gonna tell you some stuff that is gonna be inappropriate for an employer employee relationship so are we employer and employee or are we friends are we just friends when you say let's talk as friends and then employer and employee you know so it's just wild and again it's just me it's me in the dentist chair again right having to teach somebody at a moment when i am there's a power dynamic in the dentist chair only one of us is holding the drill and the other of us is holding our body open. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel the same way about this employer employee thing, but we'll move on.
1: No, we're not friends. You know, there's this, um, it's called circles of communication and I teach my clients and my children this. And I have to remind myself, I have had to talk to my husband about it. You know, there's circles of people in your life and P and let's just say it's a circle of friendship and relationship. And it's the, that dot in the middle, that small inner circle and the rings just continue to extend out. So people could say, oh, we're friends. Okay, we're friends in this circle, but what level of friend are you? And employer-employee relationships are outer circle. So yeah, we're friends until, because we have- uh, that we know each other. And that we know each other. It's like, we're for the same thing until we're not. You know, we work for the same organization until we don't. Do you keep it real with the people in the outer circle? Because you couldn't possibly keep it real with the people in the outer circle. You keep it most real- with the people who are the inner circle who are for you people who are for you is who you keep it real with but and it's not that you're keeping it fake in the outer circles what happens is that those people get to know the parts of you in the capacity that they know you and you keep it real in that relationship for that organization in that moment but nobody wants to know all of you You don't even want to know all of you at some point. So why would you give that to somebody else?
0: It's why people have to have therapists. But I think the real challenging thing is it's not the inner circle. So we know that we do and we kind of have to for our health. Keep it real with people in the inner, inner circle. Yes. It's those middle circles that are very confusing for a lot of people. You think so? I do. And so when people talk about keeping it real... Because when we talked about this topic, we talked about the fact that the people with whom we are keeping it real are people with whom we have relationships. And those tightest inner circle relationships are relationships that can survive the realness. Yes. But those, those medium circles between the two or three people with whom you keep it most real, and then those on the outside who you just kind of are acquaintances. But there's Many shades of, um, there's many gradations of friendship in between. So that's where it gets.
1: This rem- re- Remember when many, many moons ago, we were recording and we cut out about 30 minutes. Yes, I do. Yep. We cut out about 30 minutes because we had
0: a disagreement. It was a moment in our relationship.
1: Yes, it was. It was a moment in our relationship. And we both knew that we would survive the moment. Yeah. And we agreed to cut it out because no one should should have, no one needed to hear that but us. Um, but the thing is, is, is that we both kept it real. And the relationship was solid enough to be able to survive that and this is why the relationship was solid enough we were friendship our friendship had been operationally defined we had defined what we were to each other we were clear about who we were as individuals and there was no imbalance of power in our relationship so we were able to talk it out um and i remember like 20 minutes, I I think the disagreement lasted for about 25 minutes, and then we stopped and we said, you know, who we are to each other is much more important than how we disagree on this topic. And we then checked in with the other person and discussed the fact that um, our, you know, we individually talked about what our intention was with bringing this up and how yes. in having our position, it was the position was not meant to disrespect the other person's position. That's right. Um, so, so we took, it was a 25 minute moment and then we took 10 <laughs> minutes to, pr- to re- repair. Um, we edited all of that out and then we just kept recording. Um, yeah. But it was significant for us because we had to calm down. We were both in our corners, so to speak. Um, But we kept it real and we kept it real and because that's who we were to each other. When there is an imbalance of power, when there is something that you seek to gain from someone else, there is no keeping it real. You couldn't possibly keep it real.
0: Well, the only person in that situation who thinks they're keeping it real is the person with the most power. there you go. And by the way, you are the only person in my entire life. You will probably be the only friend I ever have who defines a friendship in operational terms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sliding down in my chair because it is a, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things that I carried away from my profession. I feel like we are all working with a good working definition. Then we will not be, we will be less confused.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up though, because I was just thinking about that moment. Yeah. Maybe yesterday.
1: Yeah. That was, I mean, that was a good, like I was, when I was um, telling the editor, um, just cut out, <laughs> you know, I know you're going to hear this, but uh, cut not that part podcast. out. Just not, not, for, the not for the podcast. podcast. Cut it out. But, you know, it's it's really interesting. But when did keeping it real become cursing? I just I missed that memo. When keeping it real meant that we wouldn't use all the words, that we would just. And, and let me, there are some t- moments in your life that you say, yeah let me you know do an f-bomb let me do an s-bomb let me you know curse because that's what I feel in my spirit but part of me says check that too Um, but I, I also feel like when did keeping it real mean that I that I curse so much I listen I grew up in a household where people said things like when you step out of this home you represent not only you, you represent this family. And when your parents walk into a room and they need, they need to be able to walk into a room where people will say, oh, those are the parents of Landria Seals. And they, you're, as your parents, we need to feel good about that. So when you represent you, you represent us because you carry our name. Well.
0: So, there's keeping it real. And then there's this, there's this teacher in this stumbling toward wokeness article in the Washington Post. And I feel like for a lot of people, she's the kind of person who, as she goes on her journey, and it is a, I have a colleague who calls it a bird walk. So you take a couple steps this way, and a couple steps that way, and you know, yeah. ultimately moving forward, but with many small detours, distractions, but she's getting there. But I feel like she's the kind of person who might find herself in the orbit of someone who maybe is thinking that they need to keep it real with people. And she's going to find herself on one of those middle rings of friendship with somebody who, as she goes on her journey, she is going to hit a tripwire. And what will happen for her is, I think, grossly unfair. I think that for someone like her as she goes about this this revelation and then the ensuing journey that at some point she will stumble over the line and it's not like i said about just being happy that she's here but understanding that we'd rather have her on this side of the line than on that side of the line so maybe understand that as she messes up she's still on her journey so let's cut her a break from time to time
1: show her some show grace her some grace show her some grace there's two parts of Keep It Real that I just don't like. I don't like kitchen table, let me tell you off, drop the mic and walk away, keep it real. And I don't
0: like cursing, keep it real. Neither one of them sparked conversation for me. Well, the, the talk that I got, yes, I got the talk about representing not only my family, my immediate family, but representing my ancestors, like the oh, people yes. whose you know, blood and tears are responsible for me being in this moment. But, you know, I very much got to talk about what is becoming. Now, I say this as someone who, yes, I drop an F-bomb or an S-bomb because it moves. My my spirit is so moved, <laughs> maybe a little more often than yours. But it is, it is unbecoming. And it is also, um, I also think it diminishes you when you are trying to, in this moment, convey your power. And when you... When you overuse some of those tools, like the profanity, it really diminishes your power rather than amplifying it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It diminishes your argument. And I don't know if it diminishes you, um, but I do look at you differently. I won't lie. There is a look that I'm like, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure you could speak for me because what are you going to say on my behalf? I don't necessarily appreciate kitchen table defense unless we're at a kitchen table. If we're at a kitchen table, then I can do kitchen table defense and conver- and have that conversation at the kitchen table because that means that I can be as loose as you are. But if we are in a, a space, a collegial space, if you will, and you do kitchen table and because white collegialism may applaud that like oh that is such a it was so passionate and and parts of me because this happened to me for real in in the last two weeks parts of me wanted to say girl stop just just stop yes but i didn't i said let me let me not respond and let me have her shine right because that's the shine that's her capability that's what she could do but I feel like if you have to do the cursing or the kitchen table, drop the mic, then you should go, you should retool a bit. There's some retooling that needs to occur. And that's a nice way of putting it. There's a retooling that needs to occur because is that the artillery?
0: It can seem juvenile. So you know how teenagers will use a lot of profanity and they want to talk about sex all the time and you know i feel like this is often the case with a lot of music that i hear put out by a bunch of young artists who sometimes are just they just want to say all the stuff and they want to say it emphatically and they want to say it in a way that is that is explicit explicit but i just feel like okay it's new to you i get it and so you want to say all the things and you put together different word combinations there's only like seven seven words that you might say and then your creativity is limited to the different combinations you can put together with these seven words all right fine but at some point it's like did you get that out of your system can we talk for real now and this is how i feel about this as you put it, these kitchen table moments, these drop the mic moments, that kind of business. It's like, are we in our adolescence in these conversations somehow? Did you just need to get that out of your system? Okay, good. Now can we really talk? And the other thing that worries me about those kinds of things is it's actually very similar to what was happening for a long time in entertainment spaces. So with Black voices, for example, in the world of publishing, There there always has been. It's been a, a world of gatekeepers. And because there has been no diversity amongst these gatekeepers to speak of, You have white people who are determining, for example, what authentic black voices sound like. They become the gatekeepers for things like. So, at the moment when they say, we want to hear more black authors, really, if you're using the same gatekeepers, then it's white people deciding what black voices sound like. And so, what worries me about what you just told me is if you have audiences taking this in and going, oh, the profanity, oh, drop the mic, and feeling like it was so passionate, my concern is that you have effectively the same thing going on where people. Say now that's an authentic black voice. Yes, my black voice, my black voice is authentic. You know what? I don't really have a kitchen table discussion. The way I'm talking right here, right now with this podcast is how I talk. It is how Mm -hmm. I. This is my kitchen. Well, I mean, does it count as a kitchen table? Maybe it can. It It can. Well, but but I don't define it as kitchen table. Yes, this is just being. This is me keeping it real. Now, in real life, not on a podcast. I will definitely pepper it with, you know, the words that my spirit uses, (laughs) moves me to use. (laughs) We both do. Let me just say that. We both do. (laughs) We both do. do. But But this is not, this is not at all a profanity laden, uh, unthoughtful, undisciplined way of talking about this stuff.
1: Yeah, but this is, majorly speaking, this is how we communicate, and this is how our friends communicate. That's and right. so what happens is that if those voices become the authentic Black voices and these corporate communication skills, so to speak, that we have, that have been developed over time, and because we understand the shoulders we stand on, and we understand the... um. And it's not about, uh, you know, degrees or pedigree. It is not about that at all. It is not. It is about choices. It is about choices that you make and expectations for how you want to get your point across. I remember clearly when I was at that university boardroom with the university attorneys um, discussing that whole thing that happened with my child and the what is it the mediator said you know the reason that you were able to do so much and um change all of these things is because of how you came across and because of your communication skills and i didn't take that as a compliment at all um one because I know for sure that people judge and decide who you are and your value based upon uh, your communication. I didn't know for sure about that. Um, But the thing is, I said to myself, wow, so the person who is impassioned who the the person who is passionate, the person who is crying and in tears because this has happened to them, this has happened to their child, and they are bringing all of that to the table would never
0: have been heard. She never would have been heard. And you know what, Landria, I love you, but you are not more valuable than that woman. I'm not. I know I'm not.
1: I know I'm not. Your child
0: is not more valuable than that woman's child. And Nope, not at all. And yet you were more valued than that woman ever would have been.
1: Yes. Yes. Which is sad. It is. Which is so sad. And so I it wasn't a compliment then. It's not a compliment now. It actually angered me even more. Yes. Um and I want to say that I met you at a, a a restaurant a few days later and I said that and was very upset about that thing. But I was happy about what we were able to do. And it always reminds me of people who shout and the people who are in the boardroom making the shouting matter. So there is the, when we talk about policy changes, there is a place for protesting, but you know, there is a there are people on the other side of that boardroom who have a certain set of skills who are making policy changes, legislative changes, and moving the needle um, further. It's all necessary. So the, the the mother like me who shouts at the daycare director because they didn't do her baby right, she's important too. And that's keeping it real. We both kept it real. And yes. that's the thing. Yeah. There's a place for both of us, there's a place yes. for all of us. But professionally and collegially, when you are in these spaces, you've got to be able to stretch your repertoire of communication otherwise people will still see you as the voice and you have a responsibility to know that it is not that's not the voice it's not the only voice what is it one million black people one million ways
0: by the way thank you this is not a corporate voice when I was in that first job, the one where people were telling me I smell like chocolate and they didn't yeah. like the black people. And the one little person accused me of stealing something. Actually, I don't think I told you that story where I had the eye twitch and the spiders falling from the ceiling. Well, one of the other things that happened in that job was there was this guy working there who worked with all of these air quotes again, inner city kids, which is, you know, that means poor and black. Um, <laughs> and he just he would follow me around from time to time. He was a real do-gooder. And he just couldn't believe, he could not believe the way that I talked. And he asked me one day, how did you learn to talk like this? And I looked at him and I said, my parents talk like this. So I just want to be clear that we're not talking about something that is learned because we went to school and learned it or learned because we have existed in these professional spaces and learned it. it but we learned it because it was our mother's milk.
1: Ooh, who? Tell them. You cannot love the culture and dismiss all the voices. That's a cross color. Yep, Yeah. Because we dismiss each other too far too uh, much and for far too long. That has happened to me this week too. You've had quite a week. I've had quite a couple weeks. I don't know why people keep messing with me because. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Girl, with all that I've been through, I am, I can only clap for myself. Uh,
0: so you might as well clap for yourself. Nobody <laughs> else is gonna clap for you, shoot.
1: And drive to Chicago, give me
0: some hair chicken and come back. Oh my goodness. Don't you wanna come? You're gonna have to get back to me in a couple of weeks. I, just I can't. Drove I Chicago can't. and back. I and will drive. There, had to drive all out to like some west suburb somewhere. I somewhere will are- drive. No, I can't even ride. I cannot do it. Well, I'm going by myself. You want some? Ugh. You know you do. I don't even want anything. Yes, you do. Of, I really don't. I can't even think of anything that I want more than. I don't want to go back to Chicago right this minute.
1: I'm going to drive and get me some Harold's chicken. I'm getting a pizza with spinach and tomatoes and a strawberry shake. I have it all figured out.
0: I honestly thought you said, and then I'll juice the rest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Fancy Black Lady. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and visit our store at fancyblacklady.com. And as always, keep it fancy.